Thank you. Please take your seats. Good to see you here at the five o'clock teaching service today. And uh, we are halfway through our series on atheism, secularism, and other false religions. And if you're joining us for the first time today, I really would encourage you, if you're interested in this subject, to go on our Kensington Temple web and go to the media section and uh, have a look at the other parts of the series that um, we've already looked at. Uh, to begin with, in the first session of this series, uh, we looked at atheism and uh, how to answer atheism in a brief introductory form. Uh, if you remember, we looked at the different arguments, the arguments for creation, design. Remember if you were with us, if you walked into a forest and you picked up a watch from the floor and you looked at it, everything about that watch speaks design. Uh, the chances of that watch just over a period of time, little bits of metal being uh, sort of like uh, eroded and then coming together to form cog cogs and all this happening and eventually tick tick. That's the problem with evolution. Uh, you have to have a faith statement that says, well, how long can chance make these things happen? And you just stretch it. Oh, well, million years, billion, trillion, million billion, trillion billion. Sure, if we make it long enough, something could evolve. It's just pure faith. Pure faith. And then, and then you get some of the, the, uh, the evolutions who say, oh, yeah, you're right. Actually, the possibilities of life to evolve, even in billions of years, is a bit crazy. So how can we solve that? Uh, and then Richard Dawkins goes, oh, I know what. Let's pretend that there's not just one universe, but multiverses. Richard Dawkins, the great atheist, believes that there are hundreds, thousands, millions of other universes. Which means that the chances of evolution happening is not just millions, billions, billions, billions of years, but also thousands, thousands, and thousands, and thousands of universes we haven't met. That evolution is bound to happen sometime, isn't it? No, it's not. When you look at that watch that you picked up in the forest, everything about it says design purpose. And that watch is nothing in complexity compared to the human cell. Nothing. I tell you what, if Darwin was around today because he said, if you can show me something that complex and with that much design, then I'll show you that evolution's not true. He was dealing with little birds and things, with big beaks, small beaks and things like that. But if Darwin was around today, I am sure that he would not be an evolutionist. I'm sure of it from what he said, for what he said would convince him. So we looked at design and we showed some clips and it's all there on the internet for you. We also looked at the argument, didn't we? The moral argument of atheism. Because the real atheists such as Richard Dawkins know that because there is no God, there is ultimately no meaning no values and no purpose because there's no God it's just pure happening chance that everything has taken place you, there is no right and wrong you can create your own right and wrong because there is no right and wrong there is no purpose so make up your own there is no meaning so whatever meaning is good for you but ultimately there's no meaning no value no morals and the true atheists what I call the fundamentalist atheists who actually take their faith seri seriously understand that there's no morals, there's no right or wrong. And someone says, oh, it's obvious that there's right and wrong. After all, it's wrong to murder. Who says? 
Well, I say, well, I could take you to a few countries in the world right now that think murdering is a very good idea. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. We unpackage that type of argument, an introductory, on the first session. And those of you will remember that, those that didn't, I encourage you to go and watch it. It's not a long teaching and it will encourage you to go forward. In the second session, we looked at secularism, secular humanism. That was last week. And I showed you how that secular humanism in the Western world is seeking to drive religion out of public life. And secular humanism says, we're interested in the facts. We're interested in what can be known factually and scientifically. But you religious people, well, you've just got personal opinions. You Muslims believe one thing from some strange book, Christians from another strange book, Hindus, New Age. You religious people, you, you, just, you just got beliefs and values that you just make up. But we, we look at the facts of the matter. We don't want your teachings in our schools. We don't want God in our uh, politics. Labour famously said, we don't do God. We don't do God. And so last week I spent time showing you the falsehoods of this. I mean, uh, 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 today we're looking at the uniqueness of Christianity. And uh, I mentioned an illustration that I used last time. You know, is Christianity unique? What is the uniqueness? Because to many people, there is secular atheism, and then there's religion. Just religion. It's like people asking the question, is, does religion have a place in society? A couple of weeks ago, I was watching television, and on one side, literally on one side of the table, was the interviewer. And the interviewer was coming from a secular, non-religious stance. And he was the interviewer. Interestingly, they have to be the ones that interview. Then on the other side of the uh, table was an imam, a priest, and a rabbi. And the question from the secular, non-religious interviewer was, Is there any, does religion have any value for society today? And the three of them were arguing that religion does have value. And I looked at this and I thought, this is totally wrong. The whole question and debate is framed totally wrong. We have on the one side those doing the interviewing, the secularists, don't believe in God. And on the other side, religion, lumped together. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't sit on the same side as an imam and discuss is religion healthy for society? Because I do not believe that Islam is a healthy religion. And everything that I believe as a Christian, the Imam totally disagrees and it is fact preaching and teaching to destroy my beliefs. And rightly so. And everything that's in that Quran, I don't accept the Quran, it's a corrupt book in my opinion. And yet somebody lumps us altogether is religion good for society let me tell you religion is not good for society but Christ is the answer for society that's my claim now when you make a claim like that people say who do you think you are what you you, you think that Christianity is superior than other religions how arrogant well you need to look at the claims of Christianity and the claims of other religions that are totally different to one another and decide yourself but please don't lump us all together I have as much in common with, with Muslim faith as I do with atheists 
have as much in common with them all. And what should be round the table, let me tell you so, it should be a round table, not with the secularist atheists on one side and us on the other, but we should all be round the table and let's talk about our views and let's talk about the evidence for our faith and the evidence and let's see who ends up standing strong. Amen? And so don't let them drive you into a corner. It's time to stand up for Christ. And we looked at all of these things last week. But today, we're looking at the uniqueness of Christianity. And let me start with a scripture quote. Luke chapter 9. And uh, verse 18. The uniqueness. And it happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say I am? And so they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, The Christ of God. And so here Jesus is saying, You know, what are people saying about me? What are they saying about who I am? And when we speak about the uniqueness of Christianity, the question they're asking is, what are people saying about Christ? Because Christianity is about Christ. What are they saying? What do, they, do they think that Christ is, as some do, just another prophet? Is he just another teacher? Another religious figure? Is he a fictional figure made up by people? What, who do people say? What are the unique claims? What does Christ say about himself? What does the Christian faith have that is unique for us to consider? And I've just got a few, again, introductory ideas and points for us to discuss here. We're going to do so much in a teaching service and it may be that some of you go away and say well he made some statements but I've got a lot of questions about those statements he didn't unpackage them that's fine that's fine there's plenty of material that you can go to to find out more and those of you that are here I see that there's some here from the apologetics course and you know that we go in a lot more detail into such things in the classes that we are having this is just introductory to get your mind thinking on these various issues amen and next Sunday is going to be an interesting Sunday because I'm going to be dealing with um, with common questions that people ask us like where did Cain and Abel get their wives from these types of things so next week's going to be a little bit more fun because I'm going to bring out some of these objections what about suffering things like that and I'm going to just help you again I won't give you all the answers in fact um, if you've got some questions I'll tell you what I'll take some questions from the floor next week so if you said well I got these questions from you know people that ask me about Christianity where does Cain you can you can fire those questions at me I'm not promising to have the answer but I'll help you find the answer if I don't have the answer. All right? So um, don't, don't, don't come and try and, you know, think of the hardest possible thing that you can ask to sort of make me look foolish. You know, that's not what it's about. In fact, I might give some of you a few questions in advance and then you come up and print. No. No, but if you, have, if you have any genuine questions, then maybe we'll, we'll spend 10 minutes or so and if I haven't answered them, you can ask. And if I don't have the answer, I'll say, well, I'll tell you, I don't have the answer, but tell you where I'd go to find the answer and I'll explain what I would do in a situation like that. How about that? 
That's fair. All right. Okay. So, the uniqueness of Christianity. So often, you know, you hear people, and, uh, you know, let me take the example of the United States of America, where people talk about one nation under God. One God. And then you will hear people like Obama and other presidents before him talk about thanking God and God's blessing. And you think about it, what God are they talking about? Many people genuinely believe that the world religions are all worshipping the same God, yet in different ways. Now, you might think, well, I'm a Christian, I think that's ludicrous. You might think it's ludicrous, but the president doesn't. That's what he believes. He believes, and whether he's a Christian or not, I'm not here to, but he also believes that the Muslims and everybody is ultimately worshipping the same God. That's why they'll talk about God, not Jesus. And a lot of people think that. A lot of people think there's one God and many ways to him. But once you begin to look at the claims of Christianity, you will find that Christ and Christianity make exclusive claims exclusive claims and if the claims are true that the Bible the New Testament and the Christian faith and Jesus himself make if the claims are true then all other religions are totally false effectively false however if the claims of Christ and Christianity are not true then Christianity is a fake religion and should be disregarded and discarded as soon as possible. And if you look at these things and think these things through, the unique claims of Christianity are in direct op opposition to every other religion except Judaism, where Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. But every other religion, it, it is totally opposite. I mean, the God of the Bible is claimed to be the only true and living God. You can see that in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10, Isaiah 43, verse 10. The Bible cl is claimed to be the only true and special revelation from God. And Jesus Christ is claimed to be the only way to God. No one comes, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that is an exclusive claim, isn't it? No one, no other religion, no other way, no other path. Jesus said, I am the door. Yep, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, we could go through all these claims. This is just introductory. I am the way. Not I am a way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Exclusive claims of Christ. And unlike other religions, Christianity is not based on subjective experiences or feelings. But it is based on objective historical facts that anybody that wants to can begin to examine and scrutinize. You know, we are not afraid of science. God is a scientist. God created the world. 
God is a biologist, God is a chemist, God is a physicist. And we've looked at the arguments of design to show that God's signature is on the whole of creation. Uh, but Christianity is not frightened. You know, oh, religion. Like, like the young girl that said to my, my boy when he was witnessing to her, I, I, don't, I, I don't believe in uh, religion. I believe in science. I don't believe in religion. I, and Jake, my son, as, as you know, I've taught you, I've taught him apologetics. At his level, he's a 15-year-old boy. He knows his apologetics. Why? Because he needs to know. Our children, when they go to secondary school, need to know that Christianity is not another option and that we have religion and they need to go in with total truth. I don't want my son going into school and checking out his faith on the way in and then picking up his faith on the way out. And so he had his apologetics. He has by his... his by his bed, it's wonderful. He's got, this, he's got his books and his school books. And then he's got a number of books that I've handpicked for him. Apologetics for his... He's got a number of them like that. And he dips into them. In fact, I borrowed some of them to do the course. And I didn't think he'd notice. And after a few days, he said, Dad, can I have those books back, please? <laughs> he's got them. He dips into them. He, he, he debates with his friends who, of course, don't have an answer because they've not even thought through these issues. He, he's, he's on top. He's the head, not the tail when it comes to these things. Yet so many Christians are all, oh, well, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know what to do. He's not like that. He has a confidence. And so there was a big debate between him and our neighbor, neighbor girl over the internet, backwards and forwards, where she was asking every question she could. And he was answering or looking for the answer. I'll get back to you tomorrow on that one. And he began to defend the faith because he wasn't frightened. And he could, he could answer the questions because Christianity is based on facts and, 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 um, uh, and you can examine it. It's objective. It's not a man-made religion. You can look and see. And the, and the girl got saved. She's born again. It's so wonderful to see the day she got saved. And that night, when I looked on Facebook, on her profile info, it said, Christian. Amen. Amen. Apologetics did that. If he had just gone to her and said, I don't know, but I do speak in tongues, it wouldn't have worked. He does speak in tongues too, by the way. The truth of Christianity can be examined. After all, it's based on a historical fact. We're not talking about some angel Gabriel, not talking about the angel Gabriel that's on the ministry team. We're not talking about some angel Gabriel descending and starting speaking into somebody's brain different verses and then having those 15 years later written down and saying here's the word of God downloaded we're not talking about we're talking about an historical event called the resurrection and Paul said if the resurrection is not a historical fact then we are above all men to be pitied and you can examine you can examine the case for, for um, the resurrection. And Christianity, unlike mythological accounts of miraculous events found in ancient cultures, Christianity is based in historical and historical records. Instead of someone just coming and going, oh, hello, I've had a revelation. 
we see that in the New Testament there, there is evidence Jesus was a real person in real time and the Bible, the New Testament heavily, heavily relies on eyewitness accounts eyewitness accounts I mean Luke chapter 1 people come to you and say oh the Bible's mythology oh is it? well the writers didn't see it like that because a doctor, a scientist called Luke wrote Luke and Acts and this is how he starts very different to any other type of religion Luke was not afraid of the evidence or the facts in fact Luke wanted to find out the evidence and the facts and wrote his gospel as a factual historical account Luke was the sort of um, investigative journalist of his day you know like Panorama, they go, we're going to investigate and find, we're hearing these things, we're going to go behind what people are saying, we're going to find the facts. Thank God for investigative journalism. It's one of the most important aspects of a free society. Well, here is Luke in Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Speaking to Theophilus, the person he's writing his book for in honor of, Theophilus meaning God lover, and he says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a decla declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us even as they delivered them to us which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the first to write to you in order most excellent Theophilus so he's saying this is look these things that were preached to us that we believed they were given to us by people who were who were there the whole of the New Testament was written during the lifetime of the Apostles and so that means when the Gospels were written the eyewitnesses include not just the eyewitnesses that were Christians but the eyewitnesses that were anti-Christians they could say you know this Gospel by Luke and Mark load of rubbish you know, you know, you know this, this feeding of the 5,000 is a miracle. I was there. There was no feeding of the 5,000. We all brought our own McDonald's. It's not like... You know, they could go... When this came out, people, the apostles were there. You could go to Cana, and, and, and Luke may have done that. Got, go, you know, or, or go to Cana. You could go to Cana, and you could say, I know it's not recorded, recorded in Luke, but he could have gone to Cana and said, was, was there a, a wedding with miraculous wine here oh yeah I was there I was there everybody was there and these books were written and then copied and copied and copied within the lifetime so that so that they were written in the lifetime of the Apostles the churches were copying and copying them so that if you wanted to change well, I'll take Luke's and I'll just change it a little bit make it better put in a bit of myth well your copy would be seen immediately to be fake because of all the other copies that had been made. Do you know the Christian New Testament is the most copied document in the ancient history? Before the printing press in um, 1440 to 1445, before the printing press, there are 25,000 manuscripts of varying lengths, uh, some fragments, some the whole of the New Testament, 25,000 in in many many different languages dating right back the earliest fragment can be found in John Ryland's library in Manchester University dated from 100 to 120 AD right up copied 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 
The New Testament is one of the is is the most reliable document before the printing press. It's 99.95% sure of everything that's in it. Hallelujah. And the idea that it was changed is ridiculous. And that's science. That's science. Scientists can go and look at New Testament as a document and see that it's totally different to any other religious document. I mean, the Quran, for example, well, first of all, who wrote the Quran? Muhammad did not write the Quran, he couldn't write. <laughs> he recited the Quran, or was given the Quran, and then there was a bunch of people around him that recited his words. It was not written down during his lifetime, and it was only 15 years later when the third caliph called together all these people that were going around with bits of recital, oh, Muhammad said this, Muhammad said that, called together a number of important reciters and said, right, I want you to write down what Muhammad said. I want you to gather it. And if there's any disagreement, because there will be some things that you, then I want you, I want you to make the decision. When they brought the Quran down together, they took all the other Quranic material and they burnt it. It's ironic today that uh, Muslims get so concerned about people burning Qurans when they've done it themselves. And so they, bur so they, they burnt everything else. So that, that one version was left. Well, that's not good science. They have one version, they burn everything else. I'd like to have had a look at some of those, wouldn't you? I'd like to have had some look at the, some of those. Of course, you can find many of the stories in the Quran in, um, in Jewish apocalyptic literature, because he heard many of these stories that are in the Quran. You can find years before in the apocalyptic Jewish community, okay? But the New Testament, no, we're not, we're not going to take the NIV and the New King James and uh, the English Standard Version and burn them all and say, behold! The King James Version authorized. We glory in the multitudes of manuscripts because we, have, we can be 100% sure that what we have is the accurate text that was written in the apostolic era. Absolutely. And we can, you can, there's plenty more you can learn about that. Eyewitnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Well, actually, I don't need to do that. That's Luke doing it again. But let's listen to this. Um, in um, John 20, verse 30. John 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. John also, in the first epistle of John, said, That which we have seen and handled concerning the word of God. He was an eyewitness. And it wasn't just a couple of eyewitnesses. Many were eyewitnesses, not, not just to Jesus' ministry, but um, to his resurrection as well. Many were eyewitnesses to what was going on. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6. After that, Jesus was seen of above 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. Paul is saying... I can take you to um, people who, who saw him. There was 500 of us, not just I saw him and others saw him in the here and there. 500 in one gathering saw Jesus. 
Oh, I don't believe you. Well, some of them are dying, but I can come and show you them. I can show you the, that, the testimony that is there. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, preaching to the Jews, to those that were opposing Christ, we see that Peter says, You men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. Acts 2.22. Can you imagine? But nobody, not, not the anti-Pharisees, not, not even Paul when he was attacking, none of them doubted Jesus, none of them doubted his miracles. They didn't say, oh, Jesus never did those miracles. The Pharisees knew he did miracles, they just claimed it was from Beelzebub. So this whole of the early church, the whole of the New Testament was written with everybody that knew these things had taken place. That these were actual events. It wasn't some fictional, mythological Hindu character that appeared from nowhere. In, in no time, space, location or, 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 or place. Also, of course, the most unique thing, of course, about Christianity is Christ himself. The person of Jesus Christ is totally and utterly unique in all history. No other prophet, teacher, or philosopher, or founder of any religion can in any way compare to the portrait painted of Jesus. I mean, think about the way that he's presented the Old Testament and the prophecies that are all so fulfilled in everything that he was doing historically in the New Testament. The doctrine of his virgin birth, the idea the, the uniqueness of his birth, born of a virgin, just as the prophecies said. His deity and his claims to his deity, Emmanuel, God with us. Thomas, worshipping the resurrected Christ, my Lord and my God. I am, says Jesus, that is who I am. And the Jews knew, how could he say before Abraham, I was. The word was with God and the Word was God. His sinless life. The Bible claims that he led a sinless life. Who in history can make such a claim? You say, well, that's a claim. Uh, examine the evidence. His resurrection. The evidence of Christ's resurrection. You, you can get wonderful books in the bookshop by um, lawyers, and historians who have used their, their, uh, their great learning to show that historically you can show that Jesus was raised from the dead. Not just, well I believe Jesus raised from the dead because I feel that it's true. You can historically show that Jesus was raised from the dead. There is evidence that demands a verdict. Of course, also we have the unique book of the Bible. The, the Bible is a unique book. It's not, you know, people say, oh, well, you got the Bible, and they got the Koran, and others have other uh, religious um, uh, uh, teachings, and uh, it's all the same, really. Take your pick, have the Koran, have the Bible. Totally wrong. There is nothing at all 
as a piece of like, forget about the, the truth and the revelation in the Bible, there's nothing at all as a piece of literature that can compare with the books that make up the Bible. The Bible is, is, is unique. It was written over a period of around 1500 years. Think about that. 1500 years. It was written by that period. No other piece of literature spans that time. It was written by over 40 different authors. And the beautiful thing is, the authors of the books in the Bible came from all types of different places. It wasn't just written by a Pharisee or a scientist. It was written by kings like David, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen. I mean, Moses, a political leader, David, a king and poet, musician and warrior, Amos, a herdsman, Joshua, a military general, Nehemiah, a cupbearer to a pagan king, Daniel, a prime minister, Solomon, a king and philosopher, Luke, a doctor and historian, Peter, a fisherman, Matthew, a tax collector. Can you imagine? Is anybody here who works in tax and you're not ashamed to, not frightened or fearful to? Yeah? You go down the tax office, someone from the tax office wrote part of the Bible. Paul, a rabbi, Mark, Peter's secretary. Written in so many different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel in a palace, Paul in a prison, Luke while traveling, John while on exile in Patmos. Written in different moods, exulting in, in, in victory where God has come through for them. But also books where the, the, the whole nation has been taken off into captivity. Written in days of victory, but also days of confusion. There's nothing like the Bible, and I haven't got time to go further in how we can be sure that the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is accurate in every way, and that the evidence of its accuracy uh, is, is there for us. A unique book of the Bible. But perhaps one of the most unique aspects of Christianity is what it stands for and what it teaches. Of course, Christianity isn't so much teaching as Christ himself. But Christ taught us many things. H anybody heard of C.S. Lewis? Wrote Narnia and everything, but also a great Christian apologist or defender. Well, during a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what if any belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminated possibilities. Incarnation? Well, other religions had different versions of God appearing in human form. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he said. And he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution amongst world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Think about that. Think about the other religions. In Islam, I know this is very simplistic introductory, but in Islam the Muslim hopes to be saved must fulfill the five pillars of the faith, which is reciting the creed, there's no God but Allah, etc. 
offering prayer five times daily towards Mecca, almsgiving to the poor, fasting from sunrise to sunset during the month of Ramadan, and making a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in a lifetime. It's not grace, it's works. In Hinduism, salvation or salvation from the endless cycle of birth, death and rebirth, reincarnation. Uh, salvation in Hinduism can be maintained in three ways. Firstly, the way of knowledge or mystical insight. In other words, this is, this is where a lot of the new age comes from. A special knowledge. The way of knowledge. The second, the way of devotion. Love and obedience to a particular deity. And third, the way of works involving ceremonial ritual. These and all other types of religions always put the emphasis on getting saved by what you do. That's human. That, that is the human way of doing things. But, but Christianity doesn't talk about what you do to get saved. It talks about what Christ has done to be saved. Unique doctrines and teachings that would never... The idea, or I, I'll leave some of... The, I, I could go into the Trinity, which is just such a wonderful manifestation of love. God is love. And, and to have love, you have to have an object of love and a subject of love. And God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I haven't got time to talk about that, but I just mention it. But how about one of the most wonderful, unique parts of our faith to end on? The cross. You know, Gandhi, the, the famous Gandhi from India said that the cross is Christianity's unique answer to evil. You see, the uniqueness is Christ, but not just Christ, but it is Christ crucified. Remember Paul? He said, you know what, when it all comes down to it, I'm not preaching you clever messages. I'm not preaching you wisdom, you know, Greek want wisdom, and I'll, I'll give you wisdom, we've got a defense for our faith, we have evidence for, for Christianity, it's just most people haven't even looked into it. I'll give, we'll give you wisdom if you want. And Jews ask for signs, you want signs and wonders? Stay for the next service and believe God that Roberts will move in the gifts of the Spirit. Bring William Lee every Sunday night, we're seeing people healed on the platform, coming up on the platform sick, going off the platform healed. That's what we're seeing. Different measures of healing obviously, but we're seeing demonstration. Uh, but, but Paul said, I can do all those things, but I want to know amongst you, Christ crucified. That's my message. Why? Because that is the unique message of the gospel. Christ crucified, Christ risen. Christ crucified. You couldn't invent it. And we didn't. You couldn't invent the idea of God so loving the world that he sent his only son to become human with us, dignifying the human race, raising up the human race, living a sinful life, and then dying the death that we deserve. In the cross is all you need to know about God. If you were to say to me, Bruce, quickly, just give me the uniqueness of Christianity, or can I have Christianity in a nutshell? If, 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 give, me, give me two words that, that would show me the whole of who God is. The cross. 
Because in the cross you see the Father, in the cross you see the Son, and in the cross you see the, the Holy Spirit. It's all there. We see God's justice and judgments against sin on the cross. Jesus carrying that which we, by justice, should carry. We see the love of the Father for the Son and the Son's loving obedience. We see God made man. We see Jesus' love for us, willing to take the sinless Lamb of God, willing to take suffering. And Christianity has an answer for suffering, a unique answer for the suffering of the world. Do you know, uh, suffering in Hinduism is karma. Your bad deeds visit you. You do badly, you come back as a rat. You do better, you come back as a cat. Now, so onwards. And again, I know, very simplistic, I know. Generalizations, but sometimes it's important to hit it at this level. Islam simply says, well, it's the will of God. Yeah, but what's its purpose? It's the will of God. You know, atheism has no answer. And Judaism struggles, especially with all the suffering that the Jews have had throughout their history. Struggles, and there are, you know, there are many Jewish atheists. Many Jewish atheists. And of course, I, and, I, and I don't blame them. Because when you think of what their uh, forefathers have suffered, and where's the answer? Where's the answer? How could this happen? But Jesus is the answer to suffering. Because whatever you have suffered, and whatever anybody has suffered, Jesus has suffered it too. He suffered. We preach a suffering, crucified Christ. He suffered more than any human being on the face of the earth. He suffered didn't just suffer death, he suffered crucifixion. One student said to me, it was a good question, yeah, but why did he have to suffer such a violent death? Why couldn't he just like, you know, be shot at dawn or something? Why couldn't Jesus die for our sins by being given a lethal injection or electric chair? Because the suffering that he had, it was the suffering of the world. What you are suffering right now, he suffered the very suffering that you're suffering. God knows suffering. He didn't create the world with suffering. When God created the world, there was no sickness, no death, no violence, no murder, no rape. Everything was good. But then the world has fallen and plunged. And everything is broken. You're broken. I'm broken. The world is broken. And Jesus was broken on the cross for us. But it doesn't stop there. If Jesus had died and suffered, and that was it, and he was in the grave then, as Paul said, just piteous because this is a fake religion. But the fact was, is that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. See, even in the Creed, there's historical references. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, and on the third day he... I can't wait till Easter Sunday, when we celebrate especially. Every day is resurrected. He rose again, and now... He is the answer to suffering. He is the answer to the world's needs. He is the unique answer to everything that's in the world. Glory to God. Now, that is just a brief introduction of the uniqueness of Christ. Like I said, I'm just really all I can do is throw out a few ideas. Can't really develop them, but just throw out a few ideas. And and these four sessions that, that we're looking at 
I want to stimulate you. I want to give you a bit of confidence. Some of you will think, that's not enough, Bruce. I need more. I've got questions. I need more. You'll find, if you seek, that some people don't even know what they're seeking for or finding or the questions they should be asking. And this is the issues we're raising. Next Sunday, we're going to look at common questions and problems that people have with us. And I will give time to see if there's anything. I want to scratch where you're itching um, uh, to. And, uh, and again, we can't cover everything, but we can cover something. And it also lets you know that there are answers. You just need to know where to find them. And a good place is some of the apologetic books in the bookshop. Thank you, Christian.